Welcome to As Luck Would Have It. My name is Abby and I'm the admin and comms worker here at Leichhardt Uniting. We are a church based on Gadigal and Wongal land here in Sydney, Australia. You'll find us at Leichhardt Uniting Church Luck on Facebook. Sermons are on YouTube under the same name and you can find out more about our church and our team at leichhardtuniting.org.au. In this episode of As Luck Would Have It, Reverend Radhika Sukumar White is unlocking the acknowledgement of country, drawing upon Exodus 3, 1-5 and Luke 19, 1-8. This is the final episode in a four-part series on unlocking luck liturgy, with this sermon originally preached for the Day of Mourning 2022. I will be providing the readings ahead of the sermon. This is the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1-5. to from the New Revised Standard Version. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight, and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This this second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 8, from the New Revised Standard Version. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because she was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of the one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Thus ends the readings. Please enjoy the following sermon. Echoing the first reading that we heard from the book of Exodus. I invite you, my friends, wherever you may be, to take your shoes off and place your bare feet on the floor if you're inside or on the ground if you're outside. Place your feet firmly enough that you feel what is underneath, underneath you. Imagine yourself being planted into the ground, taking root in the ground. And now, see if you can imagine the people, the creatures, and the organisms that may have been on that same ground before you today. What might they have looked like? What might they have been doing on a day like today? How many creatures called that specific piece of land home before you did? 
And what kind of landscape do you think God created before we paved paradise and put up an apartment block? Do you think it was lush and green, dry and brown, dense or sparse? As you plant your feet into the ground, do you feel like the ground that is before you is holy ground? Keep your feet planted on the floor or the ground through this time of sermon. Today is the day of mourning, the Sunday before our country's national day on January 26th, that is an invitation for churches to join First Peoples in lamenting the past and present injustices aimed at Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. In the Uniting Church, this invitation was offered by the UAICC, the United Aboriginal, Aboriginal and Islander Christian Congress, which is, I guess, a kind of a para body, a union of Aboriginal Christian groups around Australia who exist within but kind of also alongside the Uniting Church in Australia. The UAICC was first recognised, welcomed and celebrated at the 1985 Uniting Church Assembly. Awkwardly, however, this same assembly meeting in which the UAICC was welcomed was the same meeting that, re that reversed its decision three years prior that the Uniting Church would not uh, support the 1988 bicentennial celebrations without substantial advancement in land rights for First Peoples. They reversed that decision at the same meeting. Congress felt betrayed and hurt by that reversal. And so subsequent conversations were had, which led to a statement of covenant between the Uniting Church in Australia and the UAICC in 1994. Our covenantal relationship with Congress informs many things, but among them, our observance of this day of mourning for the last three years. For, this is the fourth time we've done it. Today is also the last Sunday that Adrian and I are offering this January preaching series, unlocking four different elements of the Luck Liturgy at this church. The prayer of confession, the sermon response, the affirmation of faith, and today obviously and understandably, the acknowledgement of country, which happens at the beginning of every service before the call to worship. So in this, this context of the day of mourning, you and I are going to explore the question, what is the point of an acknowledgement of country, specifically in corporate worship? Is it necessary? Is it prayerful? Does it really need to happen in every service? And what is its goal? And further, what are we saying about the nature of God through the acknowledgement of country? What, in our relationship with Jesus, leads us to acknowledging the, tr the traditional custodians of these sacred lands now known as Australia? So in the same method as my sermon two weeks ago on the sermon response, uh, we're going to go back to some fundamentals. What is worship? And what is land? And then we go from there. Let me offer my thanks to Reverend Dr. Chris Budden for his extraordinary written resources on this subject, which have helped me greatly for today. So, worship. 
my jam, my passion, my wheelhouse. What is it? What are we doing? Fundamentally, worship is worthship, an act of honoring. For Christians, we honor the God who is revealed in Jesus Christ. Corporate worship is a regular time in which we together celebrate the story of how God engages with humanity and calls all of us to new and abundant life. Worship is a part of how community is formed, how church is formed, by gathering in the name of Christ and finding Christ in one another. We become a community of faith. Worship at its very best enables an anxious and a broken people, all of us, to transform into a hopeful and courageous people who point to Jesus with their whole lives. And that transformation happens, as Adrian noted in week one, in a four-step journey through the liturgy. We gather together, we hear the word, we respond to the word, and we are sent out. The first moments of worship are honouring and sharing moments. We sort of cross a threshold from ordinary into sacred space and sacred time. We're not saying that we're separate from the world in this hour of worship. We're not finding refuge away from the world and it's the world's brokenness. But we are sort of more acutely present in community and in creation when we are in worship. We thank and praise God, we name our brokenness and we ask God to forgive and restore us. And then from there, we turn to the scriptures to hear the story of God's loving action in the past and indeed in the present. And then we respond to the gospel and are sent out. A really helpful way to think about why liturgy is repeated weekly is this. Liturgy shows us a distinction between actions and practices. Actions are momentary responses to situations, but practices are things that we do together over time. So a liturgy is not just a series of actions. The liturgy is a collection of corporate spiritual practices that work to address human needs in light of the gospel. Words, symbols, signs, gestures, rituals, in all of these things, the church draws each of us into this set of spiritual practices that will change our lives from the inside out and locate ourselves in our crazy world and remind us of the people that we share this crazy world with. And so when we think about that, if we had an acknowledgement of country sporadically or at particular or special services, it would be a politically correct reactive action and one that would only make us feel woke and good every once in a while. Instead, here, the acknowledgement of country is a fundamental part of our worship service every week at every service, so it is a practice It's a practice, it's a spiritual practice. Liturgy is not a set of repeated actions. It is a collection of spiritual practices. Take your attention back to your feet and recognize that we all worship on land. 
whether that land is 3 Wetherill Street, Leichhardt, or in our homes, or in and beyond Sydney and indeed around the world. We all worship on land. And land is inevitably political. In the Genesis story of creation, land is creation and country. In the entry into the promised land, the concept of land becomes more ambiguous. Land is a gift for landless people. It is also a site for invasion. And it is a location for a new community. The, ambigu- the ambiguity sorry, around land grows stronger as we journey through the Old Testament. So in the rule of Solomon, for whom promised land becomes kind of real estate and a source of political power. The more land, the more power you have. It is into that heritage that capitalism stands, and indeed the church stands, built on stolen land, indigenous land. It's really uncomfortable, but that legacy really is ours, because we, the church, have explained, justified, or just remained silent in the face of that reality. Our individual stories also affect the way that we look at land. So for me, as the child of migrants, my sense of land is complex. I am a Sri Lankan Tamil Australian woman, and I live with you all on land where sovereignty was never ceded, with a difficult history and present relating to immigration and multiculturalism. The land that my parents migrated from, the north of Sri Lanka, is only now starting to recover from a civil war between my people, the Tamils, and the majority Sinhalese, mainly over land rights and sovereignty. But the sovereignty over there takes a really different meaning to the ways we hear about it here in Australia. So in Sri Lanka, the call for Tamil sovereignty was really a call for a separate autonomous state. I live and work on a land that I do not feel I belong to, nor it to me. I am very much an outsider, living in peace and safety thanks to the maybe undeserved welcome that my parents received some 45 years ago from Australia. It would be worth you thinking about your foundational stories. Go back a few generations and think about how that affects the way you think about owning land. And so we come to the acknowledgement of country. A simple but a powerful spiritual practice and a ritual that forces us to recognise where we are, not as land, but as country two quite different concepts, and to, to recognise that we also worship on invaded space. These are words, the acknowledgement of country, are words that keep alive the memory of conquest and violence and challenge our dominant narratives, really mythologies, of peaceful settlement, empty and unoccupied land, and the normalcy of European Australia. Right from the get-go, our very first words of worship become a form of resistance and defiance 
They locate us in favour of that resistance. We begin our worship by speaking about history, what really occurred in the past on this very land and what is continuing to happen today. Not every church has an acknowledgement of country in worship. Not even every uniting church does this practice. So why do we here at Leichhardt? For me, beginning with an acknowledgement of country is about that threshold that we cross when we enter into the space of worship. Our, our lens sort of alters when we do that. And even when you are worshipping from a home, even when we are worshipping online in this way, worship has to begin with a sense of social location, who and where we are as members of the body of Christ here and today. Being confronted with that, with that question straight up, right at the beginning of worship, with the acknowledgement of country, that sense should resonate throughout the rest of our time. So, for example, do we read scripture in worship that reflects a colonial reading and a colonial agenda, focusing on those at the centre of power rather than those on the edge? Does our worship reflect a kind of a nation-state view of religion, internalised, privatised, socially irrelevant, and subject to the demands of patriotism and nationalism? Do we exclude texts and voices that challenge all of our upper-middle-class social location? Truly, these questions are not just lefty nonsense. They are questions of radical discipleship, which is what we are on about here. We acknowledge country at the beginning of worship as an expression of our commitment to the covenant between the Uniting Church in Australia and the United Aboriginal and Islander Christian Congress, and the deep humility that is needed to even exist as a church on this land, on stolen land, where sovereignty was never ceded. It is a small act, not of reconciliation, which is actually a really problematic word when it comes to this kind of stuff, because reconciliation implies a time where there was once a time of conciliation, where there was peace and harmony, and there never really was. So, this is not so much about reconciliation, but of reparation for the past and present sins of the church towards Indigenous peoples. The covenant, the preamble to the Uniting Church in Australia Constitution and today's day of mourning don't mean anything at all unless we actively live out our commitment to relationship and humility and repentance and we see our practices as steps along the way towards the goal, which is a wholly different, reconstructed, interracial relationship with First Peoples. We also acknowledge country at the beginning of worship as an act of checking our privilege. The practice moves us from naively thinking that the overarching goal for our country is peace and harmony and niceness of course, on terms dictated by white people and not disrupted by annoying claims about present-day injustices. Can't we just get along? 
This repeated practice flies in the face of thinking that because we ourselves weren't active in, say, the stolen generations, we don't need to apologise and offer reparations ourselves. That colonisation was a past event without present consequences. This practice tells us that unity is nice, but it ain't shit without justice without recognising that then and now are inextricably entangled. And while it's true that sometimes we all need to put the past behind us just to survive, that only works when the past really is the past and is not still impacting on today as a living force. That is, when a, racial, when a racist history still shapes our racist present. Friends, you might be squirming in your seat right now, I kind of hope you are, at the mention of racism. It's a really uncomfortable topic, and I have to name too that I am guilty of this awful sin. But we have to talk about it, particularly today and with today's topic. Because Australia's racist history continues to teach us that First Peoples' social conditions today are an effect of their racial difference. That they are to blame for what is happening to themselves. An inevitable result of biology. We continue to associate whiteness with citizenship, integrity, law and order, and yes, even Jesus while darkness is linked to otherness, suspicion, criminality, deviance, or maybe more specifically in this topic, lazy, drunk, and dull bludger. Concepts reinforced by the Northern Territory intervention. With all of that said and done, though, acknowledging country at the beginning of worship is also hopeful and prayerful. Emma told us the story of Zacchaeus in the second reading, and Jennifer Harvey in her book Dear White Christians encourages us to imitate Zacchaeus. She says this, We are called to figure out all the ways we are in debt because of having benefited from these racial and imperial realities and to unequivocally come down from the tree and give back to those with whom we have long shared and continue to share a thoroughly interrelated structural life. That's what we're called to do. So, when we acknowledge country, we imagine a different reality from what is generally accepted. We imagine the world and God's place in the world in a really different way to present. It is a way that we imagine the kingdom of God, where everyone has a seat at the table and no one goes hungry and there ain't no one more equal than another. The practice of acknowledging country doesn't erase the questions that we all still need to wrestle with, actively and together as disciples and as a church that is committed to anti-racism. So, for example, with the development of our property still on the way, the development of 1, 3 and 5 Wetherill Street on the way, 
How do we keep faith, do justice and build community humbly without any sense that we deserve or are owed this land, this building, these property resources? What other reparations can we make for the ways in which we still share in the outcomes of invasion and colonisation? What might it mean for us to really recognise that First Peoples remain sovereign and Second Peoples are guests? Because these questions are still so very live for us all, we have to actively avoid the temptation to domesticate that part, this part of our worshipping life, to spiritualise its, its claim, making it thoroughly ordinary and bland and monotonous and kind of rote. I never, ever want you to just say the words without thinking about them. Or worse, think that we've dealt with its demand because we've said it in worship. Allow the acknowledgement of country every service, every week, every time we gather to re-afflict our comfortableness, to re-issue demands on our lives and to remind us of the reality of existing as a wonderful but as an Australian church on unceded land. One more time, friends, bring your attention back to your feet and the land that they are on. Try and remember the creatures and people that have walked that land long before you. Recognise that some of those people are the least, the most disadvantaged and oppressed in Australia's story. Recognise that, according to Matthew 25, Christ is to be found among those very people. Recognise that today we worship and live and work in a particular context and a particular time. And so turn your eyes away from heaven and become more grounded and present here and now. For the land you are on, says God, is holy ground. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of As Luck Would Have It, proudly presented by Leichhardt Uniting Church. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and feel free to leave a rating or review. And you can also visit our website and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Have a great day.